Nutrition. This makes episode 43 of the Mind Body Musings podcast. Today's show can only be described as the most terrific, amazing, wonderful episode that I have ever had on this entire podcast. Seriously, I was listening to this today as I was just going through and writing the show notes. And I'm astounded by the information and the insights and experiences and vulnerability that George has to share with us today. So this is one of those episodes that I want to implore that you take your time with. And if you like listening to the episodes in the car, just make sure you're focused on um, driving. But maybe even consider saving this for later whenever you can take notes or just like really sit in the moment and listen to what George has to say about his his past and how he's turned around his experiences for the better and he's found power in his circumstances and power in his past and how acknowledgement has led him to where he is today and yeah so that was just a quick little insight into the beauty that awaits you within the next hour but also I have like two pieces of um Two pieces of news that I want to share with you guys. First of all, if you haven't been to my website yet, it's completely new and it's so awesome and I'm so in love with it. So if you haven't gone over to maddiemoon.com, go to my website and check it out because it's completely different. Everything has been rebranded and as you'll see, I have um, a new free book on there actually. So every podcast episode you've heard before this where I talk about the free book that I have on my site, it's different now. It's actually um, 10 Proven Steps to End Any Diet Obsession. So if you're dieting and you're on the diet roller coaster and you're looking to get off, go to my website, maddiemoon.com, and find out how you can end your diet obsession with 10 proven steps that I have tested and certified. So get that ebook and... Last but not least, I have another big piece of news for you. The other week when I sent out an email to y'all asking what was the one thing you wish I could change for you, a lot of you really just want to know how to revamp your metabolism, how to get on board with your hormones again, be friends with food, get your period back, especially after that episode I had a few weeks ago on how I got my period back. You guys want to know the same. Whether you're a guy or a girl, you'll both benefit from this news. I have a webinar coming up, my very first webinar. I will be doing this with the amazing Matt Stone from 180 Degree Health. So me and Matt have a lot of the same missions. Many of you guys found me through Matt and through his his blog. And I actually had him on my podcast for, I think it was episode um two maybe yeah so definitely come um come over to my site go to maddiemoon.com slash metabolic damage and sign up for the webinar that I will be hosting on April 9th at 7 p.m mst so that's 8 p.m central time sign up for the webinar because this webinar is basically going to be all about what you want. I'm not going to be presenting a PowerPoint or anything like that. I'm just hosting this pretty much a Q&A between you guys and Matt Stone 
and me too, if you have any questions for me, particularly about um, hormones, getting your period back, food fears, anything like that. And we're going to be providing a power webinar with lots of amazing information that you guys want. Come prepared with your questions. After you sign up for the webinar, you'll get an email that says like the time, the date, the instructions for joining the webinar on April 9th. But feel free to sign up and then hit reply on that email you get from me and send in any questions you already know you want to ask Matt about metabolism or me. But know that for the webinar, we'll only be answering the questions for the people that are present. So make sure you sign up, maddieme.com slash metabolic damage. All right, are you ready for this incredible episode? Just, all right, let's head on over. Welcome to the Mind Body Musings Podcast, the show for everyone and anyone that is ready to break free from the dogmatic chains of the health and fitness industry and create their own life free from restrictions. Now, introducing your host, Madeline Moon, a former fitness model gone sane and the author of the popular self-love book, The Perfection Myth. If you dig the show and you're looking for more body love insight, check out her website, maddiemoon.com, and grab your free guide, How to Love Your Body Again, 10 Easy Steps to Stop Sacrificing and Start Living. If you're ready to end dieting once and for all, it's time you learn how to pursue real health instead. Enjoy the show. Hey, and welcome back to the Mind Body Musings podcast. Today, we're honored with the presence of George Bryant, the man behind the wildly popular paleo food blog, Civilized Caveman Cooking Creations, as well as the New York Times bestselling book, The Paleo Kitchen. After spending the first 20-something years of his life in a constant battle with his weight and then nearly losing both of his legs while on deployment as a U.S. Marine, George took matters into his own hands. He began his own self-discovery journey that involved diving deeper into the foods that made him flourish, movement that made him feel his best, and an overall lifestyle that he loved. What started as a simple place to post recipes for friends has since turned into an award-winning food blog. After being in the Marines for 12 years, George has since been medically separated and is enjoying working full-time creating delicious paleo recipes while hoping to change as many lives for the better by making real food recipes simple and tasty. Recently, I asked you guys what you wanted to hear more on on this show, and a few of the responses I received were in regards to wanting to hear more stories about males that have experienced body dysmorphia and even eating disorders. So George is here today to share his experiences with us and how he turned his challenges into something positive that helps thousands of others in their own body image struggles every day. So, hello, George. Welcome to the show. Uh, I don't know how I'm supposed to talk after that introduction. I feel a lot of pressure, <laughs> but no, I'm glad to be here. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. You know, like hearing your story really, I, I know it's it's helped a lot of people out there. And, and like, you, you know, you don't even know, like, how many people it has helped. And even the first time I heard you or I, I saw you, was at Paleo FX and that body transformation panels in like 2013 and it just so so much vulnerability and it was just so open and that's where I met a lot of other amazing people in that same panel so like your story brought me together with like Kyla Prinz and like 
you know, Abel James and a whole bunch of other people. And it was really, really cool to hear you talk about this, this issue that a lot of people keep private. Yeah, I, uh, I was actually super happy to be on that panel. Um, you know, I, I try to talk about it as often as possible because I feel like it's such a prevalent problem, but it's like the white elephant in the room that no one ever acknowledges. And one of the things that I find um, for my own healing and strength is uh, I talk about this to people all the time. When you take something from like your brain or your thought pattern and you speak it and make it real, all of a sudden it becomes neutral. You know, it becomes a story or uh, a situation where you can put your own interpretation on it. And um, as a male, uh, fitting every <laughs> every stereotype that there could have been at the time, covered in tattoos, I was a Marine with a six pack and no one ever expected me to drop a bomb and say, oh, by the way, I've been struggling with eating disorders, uh, primarily bulimia, for the past 12 years secretly. Uh, there was a lot of strength in that and uh, strength for myself in the, the acceptance piece. You know, like we can, we can talk about this all day. There's people that struggle with everything from anorexia to bulimia to body dysmorphia to orthorexia. And then even lately, I was reading an article, I think it was yesterday – on there's a new classification around eating disorders, which is categorizing some insanely new amount of people because uh, if you don't fit every parameter to be considered bulimic, like if you just eat normal food and then purge, it's actually not considered bulimia. You have to be binge eating and then purging. So there's this whole new realm of people coming out that are starting to identify with this disorder or these disorders. And one of the most powerful things for me is talking about it and talking about it openly and talking about it from a place of love, compassion, and acceptance, not from a place of wrong or shame or guilt. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful that you said that because I feel like a lot of people just, they don't think that way. So hearing someone like you say that is going to have like affect a lot of people positively to like start sharing because I'm in the same kind of position. It's funny about a week ago, I started to like introduce myself as, oh, I'm Madeline Moon. I'm a life coach. I help people specific with body image. And then people are like, wow, how'd you get into that? And I'm like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And then I kind of just spill out my guts for like three minutes and I make it pretty short. And then their eyes like open up like, really? Me too. And then, I mean, seriously, it just in the past week, I have been faced with crying people over and over and like, just sharing that, it opens up a part of people. It's like they've been dying to open it up. And it's like they're so scared of the shame and of the judgment that they keep hiding it away. And it's like, even if it's not a body image thing, hearing a story from someone else, even if it's a stranger, will cause people to just want to express themselves. And in that is the, is the healing. Like just being able to share, that's where the healing takes place. Totally, totally. It's actually, I love that you say that. It's almost like, uh, three minutes would be would be considered short for me because I tend to blab my lips a lot. So um, I've gone the uh, the punctual route lately. But one of the things um, I love speaking and I speak a lot and I speak on all sorts of different things. Like this year at Paleo Effects, I'm speaking on uh, using food to create breakthrough results everywhere in your life. And on the surface, that sounds like oh that that doesn't really make any sense. Uh, but food is something you practice three times a day and your belief system and the way that you relate to food is how you relate to everything in your life. And, and lately what I've been doing is I've been starting all of my talks and you'll appreciate this, I believe, within, uh, I call it my minute of truth. 
and I start to talk and for 60 seconds I tell people how I feel and I don't hold anything back. I was talking to a bunch of families with cancer and I was up there and I was like, you know, I'm like right now I'm scared, poopless. I lost my dad to cancer and I'm afraid I'm not going to provide any value for you. I'm afraid you're going to go home and you're going to tell me that you have a child that dies and I couldn't do anything about it. Uh, I have my friends sitting in the audience who I'm extremely envious of and I respect and look up to, but I'm slightly jealous that they've had the success that they've had. And a lot of people think I'm crazy. But the difference is, is when you speak out loud about it and you acknowledge it, it no longer allows you to put interpretations on it that may or may not be true. It's kind of speaking about the white elephant, you know, the four agreements, if you're not familiar with them. I, uh, I invite everybody to read them by Miguel Ruiz, but one of them is never make assumptions. And what I found is that as I struggled with my eating disorder and my body image, because of my paradigm and the way that I looked at the world and how I was raised, I would be in situations and I'd be like, oh my God, they're judging me. They're looking at me like they're going to think I'm fat. They're going to think I don't look good. I'm going to go home and binge. I'm going to make this better. And I would do all these things and I would always just be making the assumptions of what other people were thinking. And then when the empowerment came was when I was like, hey, I'm bulimic. And they're like, oh, okay. And they're like, well, that's okay. We love you. You know, how can we support you? And all of a sudden, all those stories that I had in my head were completely opposite of what I expected. And I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. I've been struggling for 12 years and making up stories and beliefs about people and what they think about me. And none of them were ever true. So I love that you create a space for people that is open and accepting and loving for them to to find who they really are and be comfortable with who they are. You know, like there's a lot of um, power in, in people that go through recovery, like the 12 steps with Alcoholics Anonymous and things like that. And the first step is always self-acceptance and realizing that there's a higher power or something above you that you just kind of get to surrender. Like you're put on this earth for a reason. You've had your struggles, you've had your experiences, you've had things that come up in life, but it's all for the greater good. And if you relate to them in that manner, you can empower and inspire and change people's lives. And and I'm not talking you have to have like this, lose 100 pounds, get both your legs blown up and be bulimic like I did. I'm talking about if you find a way to stay motivated on a Monday or you know, if you cured your child's cancer or even if you overcame a body image issue or you overcame uh, self-doubt and you chose to get out or you had a fear of public speaking and you chose to speak, like the tools are all there and there's millions of people that struggle with all the same things and I feel like it's our job to, to share our stories and to share our triumphs so we can motivate and inspire other people. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, so much truth in that. And, and like... Okay, rewind real quickly before I ask another question. I want to go over the the legs story because it's so I know you probably told it so many times, but this okay. story is just like I have I know there's someone that has not heard it and it needs to be shared. Yeah, it's actually uh it's a continual struggle. I literally go to appointments every day. I actually got a cane and a walker yesterday. Um because at 31 years old, uh I don't feel my legs anymore and I'm lucky to still have them, but there's a lot of issues that come with it after 12 years of service in the Marine Corps. So um, to give it in a nutshell, in 2004, I was in Somalia, which is a lovely, lovely country that I recommend you never visit. Um, and I was on a mission. And to speed up the process, I'll say I was in a situation where I had to get out quick and I was running. Uh, my legs felt like I had shin splints. Like it felt like when you had those worst shin splints, like this is where 
it hurts, you got to stop. Well, I couldn't stop for my own life's sake. Uh, so I kept running and my legs actually eventually went numb, uh, which ended up not being a good thing because about a minute later, my legs swelled up and uh, skin stretched and simultaneously they begin to tear open. And it was called exercise-induced compartment syndrome. Uh, if you are sitting in front of a computer and you have not eaten in the past hour, you can Google that and then you can Google uh, fasciotomy which is the procedure that they had to perform on my legs five separate times. Um, so I have scars from ankle to kneecap on both legs, and I had parts of my muscles cut out and tissue removed and my fascia removed. So I was in a wheelchair for 12 months. Uh, I spent 18 months in physical therapy, and I ballooned up to my heaviest of 257 pounds. Um, and that was kind of the kickstart to my health journey. I was still struggling with eating disorders, but... I'd never wanted to lose my legs, and they told me that they were going to take my legs and then medically retire me from the Marine Corps, and that was not an option for me. So I ran a marathon, I trained for Ironmans, I ran a half Ironman, and I kind of threw it in everybody's face, and I ended up tying a world record for a standing box jump using the legs that I couldn't feel, um, and just kind of took it upon myself to prove that the power of the mind and the power of intention is stronger than anything that anyone can put in front of you. Um, and so that's my story with my legs. Uh, we could expand upon it forever, but it, uh, to, in, in honor of transparency and authenticity, it's something I still struggle with every day. I, um, I, I struggle with post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, I'm being seen weekly for that in dealing with a lot of the things that I experienced and I saw, and I struggle a lot with my traumatic brain injury because I had five concussions over the course of multiple deployments for multiple injuries. And, I struggle with my legs as well. Um, it's really demoralizing to be 31 years old and go to stand up and collapse and fall over and have your wife or your daughter catch you uh, before you hit your head or not be able to walk up the stairs. And I've gone from this guy that was this CrossFit guy and competing to I actually have to be careful what I do now because I could get hurt in any given moment because I can't feel my legs and uh, I cry about it a lot I actually cried about it last night at like 2 a.m. I woke up from a nightmare and then I realized I still had my legs but they were hurting and I was upset about it and um, I think that's a really valid point to talk about too uh, given the subject matter we're speaking about um, just because you hear me talk about how I've overcome bulimia or how I'm open and I'm okay with it doesn't mean that it's emotionless. Um, the emotions are still there. The struggle is still there. The cravings, the, the uh, urge to binge, you know, the urge to open the cabinet and eat all the chocolate, all of those things still exist. The difference is, is how I relate to them is completely different. So I'm okay talking about how I cry about my legs and how I'm scared that they tell me they may amputate them, but at the same time, that is not paralyzing me or holding me back in my life because I feel like I'm in control. So I look at the emotions for what they are. I'm like, oh, I cried last night. Hmm, that's interesting. I wonder why I'm crying so much. And then I'll talk to Lindsay about it and I'll be like, babe, I was like, I was bawling last night. And she's like, well, why do you think you were? I'm like, well, I'm afraid that I may lose my legs. And she's like, yeah, and then what's the worst thing that could happen? And I'm like, well, nothing really. And then I think about it, I'm like, and then she's like, but remember, you're not going to lose your legs because it's a choice. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a really good point. And then all of a sudden, this thing that I was afraid of becomes this neutral event. And because we spoke about it, it no longer runs me. And I, I say that and I share that because uh, 
it's very prevalent with the subject we're speaking about, uh, whether it's eating disorders, whether it's binge eating or purging or orthorexia or anything. People, and I know this firsthand, are still going to experience the emotions that come with it. You're still going to experience the um, the setbacks, you're still going to have the same stressors in your life, the same triggers that triggered you. But now, recognizing those triggers and allowing yourself to choose something different in that moment is where the power comes from. It's like someone calls me fat on the internet. In the past, I would have been like, great, I am fat. I'm going to go eat all the chocolate. I'm going to order a pizza. I'm going to get really, really sick and then I'm going to binge it up. Now, I'm like, oh, that's really interesting that they think I'm fat. Uh, Every part of me wants to go binge, but if I binge, I'm giving them the power. So I know I'm not. I love my body. I accept myself for who I am. I'm going to go have a coconut water, and then I move on. And every time throughout the day or my life that I do that and I choose something different, I'm redeveloping my paradigm and my belief system about it. I'm redeveloping neural pathways to reassociate that trigger with something positive, and it's literally just continuing to snowball and empower me to keep going. Wow. <laughs> that was probably the best, like, the best 10 minutes I've ever had on this podcast, to be completely honest. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. I don't, I don't even know what I say half the time, but it sounds really good oh hearing my myself, and I hope, <laughs> I hope that it flows. So. Oh, it flows all right. It flows. But I guess I'm, like, I'm thinking, like, I, I, I relate to a lot of the, the stuff you talk about when it comes to fear and people's, you know, views on you and uh, after watching your, you know, your blog and like the, the comments people do throw at you, how you can handle that is really inspiring. And, and, and I'm, I'm just wondering, I guess, like at, at the time, was, it, was there a moment like where people's views of you kind of controlled how you even like wrote on your blog or how you identified totally. yourself? Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, it's a very... It's a very fine line that bloggers walk and bloggers that have a lot of traffic. I get a lot of people on my website every day. Um, and yeah, definitely in the beginning. Um, because you have to remember in the beginning of my paleo journey, I was still hiding my bulimia. So it wasn't until right before that talk where you saw me that I had kind of come out of the closet about being bulimic. Um, and up until probably a couple months ago, how I wrote on my blog and how I did things in the world of business and paleo was dictated by what other bloggers thought about me as well as the audience. Mm. Um, and I'm in, in all transparency uh, right now, I don't talk to any other bloggers. I'm not friends with a lot of the big paleo bloggers anymore. Um, in this whole self-discovery, waking up to the world and realizing what's important to me, which is my family, and sticking to my values, I realized that there were people that were completely unsupportive of my life and were more focused on the image or the image that they portrayed online rather than being a real human being and having compassion. And uh, I stood up for myself. And I'm like, you know what? You don't support me. You spread lies about me. You talk about me to my face one way and then do something differently. And that's okay. Like that doesn't define me. And then what I realized is that every moment that I let another blogger or another commenter affect how I portray my image or my story on my blog, there's a million other people that are suffering because of that one person. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where the power and everything comes into it. And it's like, you know, Martin Luther King stood for the world to be equal. And there were 
hundreds of thousands of people up against him, but he never swayed his message. You know, Rosa Parks sat on the back of the bus and every person, including family members, told her to get off so she didn't get beat. But she sat there and she stood up for what she believes in and look what happened. And I think that's important for people to recognize is that no matter what you do in life or where you go, there's always going to be opposition. But as soon as you can recognize that the opposition is just that person projecting their own insecurities out on you and it has nothing to do with you, that's where the power comes. And that's not saying that they're bad people, but it's looking at it for what it is. Because in this world, and especially in the world that we talk about in struggling with eating disorders and body image, we need to focus inward and we need to love on ourselves. You know, one of the biggest disconnects for people, in my opinion, that struggle with eating disorders or body image is that there's a lack of compassion for themselves. They have this belief system about themselves that they have to look a certain way or be a certain way for people to love them. And it has nothing to do with the other people. It has everything to do with themselves. They think that they have these high set of standards to be lovable, and it's not the case. So when you can focus inward and you can make it a habit, I love myself today, I love my body, I love who I am, I love what I offer, I'm gorgeous, I'm sexy, I'm you know, a beast, I'm whatever you want to be, you're going to attract people that support that belief system in your life. And it all starts inward. So I know that was a really long answer to your question, but what I've realized is that when someone comes on my blog and they're like, oh my God, you're such a butthead because you post this and this and this, instead of getting reactive, I'm like, wow, like I wonder what's going on in their life right now. And I try to have compassion for those people. And I try to realize that it has nothing to do with me. And I'm like, ooh, I'm like, it must be really bad that you take the effort to come yell at me about the amount of sweetener I use in a recipe. And then I'm like, wow, if anything, that's a telltale trigger for me that that person has a serious struggle with an eating disorder and control. And the only way that they can handle it is to be in denial and put it out on other people. So, so I think there's a lot of um, – I don't think I know. I know there's a lot of power in letting everything be neutral. You know, like uh, this is a concept I talk about and sometimes it's hard for people to understand. It was hard for me in the beginning. But everything that happens in life is neutral. And if you and I were out and we were sitting in a restaurant and we saw a car accident, how you relate to that car accident is not how I'm going to relate to that car accident. You know, if you'd been in a traumatic car accident before, you may shut down, cry, get emotional, and freeze. As I've been to Afghanistan and I've seen cars blown up and I've been in a vehicle that's blown up, I would probably react in a manner that was defensive or run to the vehicle's aid. But the event itself was the same. Mm. The event itself was black and white. How you saw the event and how I saw the event were two different things. And I think that's where people get to really look at things because we'll have people that'll, you know, someone will comment on my blog and say, you know what, you're a giant butthead. And then someone might comment on your blog and say the same thing and how we relate to it is completely different. But the comment is the same. And there's power in that because it's not making an assumption. It's not putting a belief system on it. And it's not putting a rule on it. It's like, wow, that's a, that's a really interesting comment. I'm either going to delete it, read it, respond to it, and I'm going to move on. And then it doesn't give them the power And it also keeps you kind of contained in your own morals and values to stand up for something that's bigger than you. Yeah. I heard one time this quote that really stuck with me, and it was, um, 
You can be the juiciest peach in the world, but there's still going to be someone, <laughs> be that, someone hates that doesn't peaches. like peaches. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It makes a lot of sense to me. But um, ha- have there ever been moments where you're like, you read in a, a comment, and I'm asking this almost, I mean, not almost, but I'm asking this for personal reasons because I've done this and I did this mm-hmm. yesterday. Um, have there, has there ever been a time where you've read a comment or you've read a review of something you've done or like your book or something and, and someone says like they don't like it for X, Y, and Z and then you're like, oh, well, that's a good point and you think about it and then like it, – it, and then you have this decision in front of you like st- stick with your original gut feeling of this is how I – this is what I want to say or you're like maybe I should rephrase this. You know, does that make sense? Totally. I know exactly what you're asking. Yes, I do it. Probably on the regular. Um, it's a really good question. And here's the thing. I used to be really defensive about it. And, you know, there's forums on the internet that are all about, like, hating paleo people. And I actually go read what people say about me. And I'm like, wow, that's a really good point. Like, I didn't even think that my message could be portrayed that way. That's really good feedback. Um, and I didn't used to be like that. I used to get defensive and reactive and lash out. But what I feel like now, um, I feel like that I'm me, like I'm my person, I have my morals, my values, and my message that I want to get across, and I also am open that I'm not as life experienced or intelligent or smart or amazing as some people, and there's always going to be room for improvement and growth opportunity. And Lindsay's been amazing. My fiance has been absolutely phenomenal. She's been doing personal development work for like 20 years, so... I have a really good uh, sounding board next to me and she's like, I'd be like, babe, this person left a comment. And she's like, yeah, did you think about it? Like it could actually be valuable and good feedback. And I'm like, well, I wanted to, but I was too butthurt and I want to yell instead. And she's like, but does that really support anybody? And I just kind of laugh because she's right. And what I look at it now is I look at it as feedback for opportunity for growth. Sometimes I change my message. Sometimes I'll word it differently and sometimes I'll stick with what I had and I'll just take it into account in the future. But I like to tell people that um, I can't see my own holes. Like if you asked me, I run a perfect business. If you were to ask a successful billionaire, they would point out 95% of things that I can do better. So other people see my blind spots and my holes and my room for improvement and I take it and I use it. And I think that it's me trying to be the best version of myself. And also, uh, I feel like the best place to be in this world is open, like really, really open and accepting and just taking things as they come in. So, um, I actually, I have a, I have an example. I was, um, I wrote a post on social media, um, and I was talking about personal pain I was experiencing and I wrote, I was crying like a little girl and, to me, it sounded playful. It's what I grew up hearing. And it offended a lot of people. And it came across as misogynistic and not saying that they're right or I'm right. But I was like, wow, that's right. I get to be careful how I talk because given other people's lives and life circumstances, things that I say could be triggers for them. And not that I was wrong for writing what I wrote and not that they were right for taking an opinion or coming after me. But I was like, that's really good feedback. And so ever since then, I've been really present and I'm like, oh, you know, like I was just whining like a wimp or anything like that rather than crying like a little boy or crying like a little girl, which puts societal beliefs on things. And it's just being present to your – present to my audience and present to my people. And when I think about it, 
Um, I want to come across as loving and compassionate and open for everybody. And I want my blog and my social media and everything I do to be a safe space for people to be open. And I feel like the only way that that can be created is if I am 100% authentically open and I entertain and play with the ideas and the feedback that people give me. That's a great answer. Because the things that really resonate with you and really make you open your eyes and be like, that's a good point, like you'll recognize those things. And then the other things, like you're so balanced about it and you'll be able to be like, well, you know, thanks for coming. Thanks for stopping yeah, by. But totally. <laughs> well, and here's the other thing too. And what I realized too is that a lot of times you can judge people and their true feelings about things given their reaction. Because what I'll realize is someone will say a comment and my reaction will be completely incongruent to the comment and Lindsay's like, babe, do you realize how overreacting you are right now? And I'm like, oh, well, that comment really tagged me. That means I'm really defensive about something and I get to work on this because, you know, at the end of the day, it's literally a set of seven words across a computer screen that we can delete at any moment. But if I let it affect me or it drives me or upsets me or makes me cry or get defensive or get angry, there's something underneath it. You know, anger is a second level emotion. Um, defensiveness is a second level emotion. It's normally covering, you know, sadness or hurt or fear. So it's actually great because she'll be like, do you know that you really, really got really angry about that comment? And I'm like, oh yeah, I did. And she's like, so what did it trigger and why are you sad? And we'll talk about it. And it's, it's just great feedback. I really love that you have somebody in your life like this because it, I mean, just from the way you've been talking, it sounds like that's made a, a big difference and it helps you to slow down just to have someone that can give you this kind of feedback. Oh, totally. I mean, well, when I'm getting the feedback, I don't love it. Right. <laughs> like no, no part of me loves it. You know, we yeah. do a lot of personal development work together. We go to couples retreats. Like we literally study our relationship to always be there and be open and loving and accepting. And it doesn't mean it always works, but yeah. Uh, Lindsay introduced me to the world of personal development and it stood for me um, bar none higher than anyone in my life and it literally is my rock. Like mm -hmm. it's not like I have this woman behind the scenes supporting me. Like she's my teammate and partner and like nothing I do would be possible without her. And uh, and she's the most intelligent, powerful woman in the world that I've ever met and it's amazing to have and it's amazing to be able to give back as well. And um, yeah, it's extremely valuable. It's definitely shifted my entire life and my way of being and how I relate to the world and and what I do and it's provided a lot of peace and groundedness and and it's a safe space for me you know like I said I'm at the hospital probably three to four times a week getting treatment for my PTSD and my traumatic brain injury as well as a lot of other things and um, I was hospitalized in November for my depression and post-traumatic stress disorder and having that safe space to where I can say I need help or this is really bad and it's running me and all these other things is, is like the most important thing in the world to me. So um, I'm just super grateful. And, I'm, and as you can tell, I'm really open talking about it because I think, I think power comes in acknowledgement. You know, I think that's where mm -hmm. uh, if I could teach people one thing, um, it would start with acceptance of themselves. But once you accept the way that you relate and take action – in acknowledgement and speaking about things changes to everything. You know, my, um, God, I'm like just an open book today, but my therapist that I'm doing EMDR with, which, um, for anyone wondering, EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. 
And pretty much what it does is I meet with my therapist every week and we pick the biggest, baddest, most painful trigger that we have. Um, and I have them everywhere from um, suicides to seeing my friends shot to seeing dead bodies to being shot at myself um, to almost dying a couple times. There's a lot of them. We pick it. And this isn't therapy like let's talk through everything. This is I want to know how your brain processes the traumatic event that you experience. So we start talking about it and I tell him how bad it hurts on a scale of 1 to 10 and how much it controls my life. And then we do sessions. There's a light bar and um, pulsars in my hand and auditory signals and we go through everything each piece by piece, and I'll spend 20 to 30 seconds in a process, and then he's like, great, tell me where your brain went. And I'm like, okay, well, when I was thinking about my friend getting shot in the face, I also thought about when my dad died in 2008, which then made me think about that time as a child when my dad yelled at me. And he's like, great, go with it. And it goes down this entire process. Some of my sessions end up being like three or four weeks long just to get to the bottom of one. And then once we're at like the very, very bottom and the core belief and the core wound that was hit, we're like, great, what do you want to think in that situation? When that trigger comes up, what do you want to feel? And we'll pick something like, I'm safe, or I love myself, or I have the ability to do anything, or I'm perfect as I am. And then we go the other way. And he's like, great, think about that suicide again. And then tell me where your brain goes while well, constantly thinking about I'm good enough. And it literally reprograms my neural pathways to trigger me on something different. And I'm not sharing this so everybody can go do EMDR, but there is some definite takeaways for people and stuff that you can do at home. For me, one of the things that I realized is that there never has to be a logical explanation for you to feel like you feel or believe what you believe. And I feel like in our society – Everybody kind of puts this cookie cutter template on everything like, oh, you think that you're fat so you must have an eating disorder or been told that something was bad as a child when it could have simply as been is one day at recess when you were a kid, a teacher made a comment and instead of talking about it, you made a belief up about yourself that you weren't good enough and it kind of controlled your life. And I say this because feelings are feelings. And feelings are never right and wrong because they're yours and you're okay to express them however you want. And that's this whole piece of transparency and authenticity that I talk about and speaking about them out loud. If you come up to me and you're like, hey, my feelings are hurt because you smiled at me, I'm not going to be like, oh my God, you're so wrong. I smiled at you. Why do you believe that way? I'm going to be like, oh, wow, okay, let's talk about it. And I say this because you should never let anybody or anybody's interpretations or anybody's beliefs or your beliefs about their interpretations stop you from being authentically who you are. And if it hurts your feelings when people smile at you, and I know that's an absurd example, you still get to have your feelings hurt because they're your feelings. And um, one thing that I do, I have triggers all over my body. Um, if you'll ever see me in person and you see me spinning my wedding ring that I already wear and I'm not married yet but I'm impatient and I want her to be my wife. Um, when I spin my wedding ring, it's an anchor for me to be present. It takes me away from whatever nightmare I'm going through, an anxiety attack I may be having, or panic about being safe in an unsafe environment, and it gets me to the present and mindfulness. Like I'm like, okay, focus on my feet, focus on my breathing, like I'm here, everything's okay. Um, if you ever see me tap my middle finger to my thumb, it's an anchor for me to love myself. 
So if we're having a conversation in our relationship and Lindsay's like, hey, it really hurt my feelings when you did this, my pattern in the past is to go to shame and guilt and like, look, I did it wrong again. I'll never be good enough. But when it comes up now, I tap my finger and I'm like, I love myself. I'm good as I am. And then it allows me to be open to Lindsay and allow her to share her feelings in a safe space and me to love her instead of focusing on me. And so there's a lot of research that's been done out there for people, and you can find it, uh, Google Tapping, but you can actually program your own triggers and belief systems in. And I do it with like a butterfly hug, where I literally wrap my arms around myself and touch my shoulders. And uh, if I'm like, oh, there's something I need to work through, I literally sit there and I'll focus on a point on the wall and I'll tap and I'll tap and I'll tap and I tap thinking about what I'm thinking about as long as it stays positive because I'm like, I want to think about anytime I need to be present, I want to touch my finger. So I'll think about being present and I'll think about a moment that I was present in or anything like that and I'll tap and I'll tap and I'll tap and I'll keep doing it and doing it while it stays positive. The second it starts to go negative or I have a negative thought, I stop and I'll either try it again later or I'll move on and hope that that anchor was enough. But all that I'm doing is training my brain to be accepting and loving and open of myself and then giving myself tools, you know, because all of us, and I know, I know you talk about body image a lot, but um, my experience with myself with body image is that there were triggers all day. Every time I would see a guy with a shirt off, every time I would see someone that was better or faster than me, every time I saw a woman in shape or a guy with a six pack or every time I saw a cheese pizza, I wanted to binge again, things like that. So throughout my day, I'm covered and experiencing triggers all over the place. But now I have tools in place that when I feel that trigger, like literally all I do is tap my middle finger and I'm like, oh, look at that cheese pizza. But I love myself and I don't need to do that. I'm happy with my body and I get to move on. And it's really like this freeing thing and it's a whole nother episode we can talk about. But yeah, that's where I was going with that one. I love that because I've actually heard of tapping before, but I don't think I really understood that you were tapping like different parts of your body or like you know, they, they mean different things. So I'm going to have to look that up and yeah. Know. And it's not, it's not that you tap different parts of your body. It's getting bilateral stimulation. So you get both sides of your brain. Oh, okay. So some people tap their knees. Some people tap their shoulders. I like to tap and hug myself because it reminds me to like love myself. That's mm -hmm. just what works for me because it's something that I struggle with. Mm -hmm. So it's like, love myself, tap myself, I'm safe, I'm wrapped up, I'm comfortable, and it allows me to be open to whatever I'm working on. Mm -hmm. And the other thing you said that I really, really want to like bring up is, is that you have the right to feel your feelings. And something that I, I feel like a lot of people probably go through is like thinking to themselves, well, that person's story is worthy of those feelings. My story, mm -hmm. my story is not worthy of feeling this way. And then they keep hiding how they're really feeling. Like even... You know, like I was, I was raised with a, a wonderful, amazing childhood. I have amazing parents. And for a long time, I was just like, why do, am I so like wrapped up in body image? And why do I not want to like eat any food? And I don't have a reason to. I was obviously raised, you know, with love and care. So why do I feel this way? And like family members would question like, why do I feel this way? And, and a lot of other people go through these things when they hear like tremendous, amazing stories of overcoming things or working through things and like going through this in their life and this in their life and stories that make your jaw drop and say, wow, like they deserve to feel 
like they overcame something and they deserve that pat on the back and they deserve their their um their fame or what whatever what have you but their their story like you're comparing your story to their story so your feelings like all of a sudden become invalid and you're searching for answers and like reasons why they can become valid when essentially it lies within permission for yourself. You just have to say, I can feel this. I have every right. I'm a human being just like they're a human being. Like our stories are different, but they're all the same in in their own unique ways. Uh Uh-huh. I I really appreciate you hitting that on the head. And it's great to actually hear. I love that you said um, that I, you know, you had a great childhood and everything. And I think that's actually a really powerful statement for people to hear because, um, you know, how you develop your paradigm, and I've said paradigm a few times, and pretty much it's just your belief system of the world. But when you're zero to eight, you're developing your paradigm, and there are tons of influences religion, school, socioeconomics, family, friendships, um, you name it. And it develops how you see the world. And, and you can see this prevalently in children. If you see like a two year old running around, a two year old can punch its friend in the face, and then they'll be best friends three minutes later. You know, and it's actually really, really crazy. A kid can get hit and cry and then immediately be friends again. But they haven't developed their belief system about the world, so they're authentically open to everything. And then as you see that child grow and mature, you'll start to see their patterns that are created. And it doesn't mean that they have to be in an abusive household or a bad household or go to a bad school. A child that has an amazing childhood has just as much of the um, prevalence to feel not good enough as someone who gets neglected, you know, because you can live in an amazing household and there may be money and there may be abundance and you may also be a slave to your parents' work. You never know. But how you relate to the world is how you, you relate to the world and it is never going to be the same as anybody else and it's never less than or more than anybody else's situation. It's uniquely yours And you can choose to relate to it however you want, but they're your feelings and you get to experience them. And it's never wrong. And you should never feel guilt and you should never feel shame at all because it's yours and your experience. And if I told you, like on a deeper level, like if we start talking like quantum physics, like if there really is nothing outside of you in this world, like if everything is you and those people that you're seeing are literally just reincarnations or formations of you and your belief system like everything is you so focus on you like you can't ever be in a successful relationship with anybody a friend a family member a significant other unless you are whole and complete with yourself and you love yourself and that's why I talk about loving yourself so much like having individuality and being there and comfortable but I really appreciate you saying that because um I see it all the time people like oh my god I know like I can't be upset. My parents were amazing. I can't. And I'm like, yeah, but what about your aunts, your uncles, your school, your friends, your teachers? Like, it's not just your parents. It's not anything. And it's not a right or a wrong thing. It's just an, it is, it's an is thing. Like, this happened and this is how you saw it. And then that's how you believe things to be true now. And it doesn't make them right or wrong. That's just your interpretation. And the great things about interpretations is that we can change them. Like, that's the best part about all of this is that we have the tools and the ability to see the world however we want to. You know, like I tell people all the time, Richard Branson, Oprah, anyone that you name, they all put their pants on the same as we do. They choose to see the world differently and relate to their circumstances differently, which created them in the position that they're in now. But they are no different than any of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And these kind of things, like 
if you're searching for like why am I am what why am I the way I am like it could be an endless search that'll just drive you crazy like either accept it or maybe just be open to enlightenment maybe just be aware that there may be a moment where you will have clarity and just rest knowing that that moment can come because like it can come down to like a comment one person made to you when you were five and that's something that might be really, really, really hard to remember. So if you're constantly trying to focus on why I am, like, why am I this way? Why am I this way? I don't understand. Then, like, you're going to miss that moment of clarity or that moment to, like, have that, that just enlightenment, basically, or just that breakthrough moment where you're like, okay, well, it's there and now I can move on or at least I can, I can, like, live in it and I can feel what I'm feeling and embrace it and it'll lead me to better things. Totally. And I love that you just said that. I love that you just said, I get to feel what I'm feeling. And I think that is a huge piece that people try to get around. And when you're having feelings, it's because your body wants to work through them and come out the other side feeling differently. All too often, we start experiencing feelings and we either numb out, disconnect, change the subject, or avoid what's coming up for us. And uh, there's an amazing quote in the personal development world. They're saying it's, what you resist persists. Mm. The longer you push something down, the more you push it away, the more it's going to come back. And the key to life, the key to happiness, the key to peace and groundedness and acceptance and all those things is to experience your experience. And that means that if you're sad, be sad. If you're angry, be angry. If you're happy, be happy. It's not a right or wrong. But that experience is coming up for a reason. And when you choose to go through that experience as it is, you come out the other side with unlimited growth potential. You come out the other side a bigger and better, more grounded, intelligent person, and you've had another experience. But when you push those things down, they always come back, and they keep coming back and keep coming back, and normally they get worse and worse and worse until you break down. And the universe is going to continue to test you because you're going to continue to subconsciously align the same people in your life until you have the opportunity to experience it and move through. So to make your life easier, just experience it when it comes up and don't make it right or wrong. Like if you're sad, be sad. Like I was driving home from school today and I ran over a squirrel and I want to cry about it. Well, cry about it. And then when you're done crying about it, you move on to the next experience. But life is about moments, memories, and experiences and you're supposed to experience them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So true. So I, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is I, I don't do this almost ever, but I actually did ask some of my audience peeps, um, what's something they'd want to ask you just because I don't ever, I've never had a male on the show that talks about, um, eating disorders and body image. And, and one of the questions that I received was when you were coming out about this, about mostly like body image and your struggles that you were facing, People probably wanted to help you. They wanted to give you comments or they wanted to support you how they could. Um, and, and the question that I received was, how could others help you? And the follow-up question was, what are some things others did that they thought would help you but didn't help you at all and maybe triggered you? Yeah, that's actually um, that's a really good question. Uh, and it's funny because given our conversation about all being uh, internally focused and there's nothing outside of you, my answer currently would be um, no one really helped me, but they held a safe space for me to develop and define myself and step into my own power. Um, 
I wasn't in the space I'm in today when I came out about it. Um, people commented. I had thousands of comments. Like over a million people saw that post in 48 hours. It was insane. Um, and I got emails and comments and everything. And uh, what actually helped me the most was I was getting emails from people all over the world from different ages. Uh, the youngest person that emailed me was 12 years old and the oldest person that emailed me was 87. And both of those people were struggling with bulimia. And it broke my heart to hear a 12-year-old and it broke my heart even more to hear an 87-year-old that had been struggling their entire life. Um, and how it helped me was it kind of put it into perspective for me. Like here I was, 28 years old, coming out about this because I want help and I'm choosing something different and I'm in control of my life and I'm like, well, I didn't start struggling with this when I was 12 and I sure as heck don't want to be struggling with this when I'm 87 and now's the time, like the present moment is the time. And uh, there was a common flavor in every single email. Um, people that had recovered, people that were struggling, people and everything and the thing that was missing was acceptance and love and acceptance and love of themselves. And um there were people that commented on things that triggered me, you know, telling me what to do, all these different things to do, all these places to go. Um, and uh, it, it wasn't like a bad trigger. I never relapsed. I never had an issue. Um, it was just interesting that it would cause me to get defensive and reactive. And what I realized is that was my own denial about my condition. That was me not wanting to accept it. So um, what I tell people um, I get emails all the time, parents with kids with eating disorders, friends, relationships. Um, I tell people your only job is to be a safe space of love, compassion, and acceptance. There is nothing that you can do. If you have someone that you know uh, that you're in relationship with or in your family or anything that's struggling with an eating disorder, there is not one thing you can do, but there are tons of ways that you can be. And I think that's a really important point for people. It's not about doing this for people in this situation. It's about being, being there and being love and being compassion and being acceptance. The person struggling is going to make their own choices and they're going to choose to get help, choose to beat it, choose to come out, choose to do anything. It has to be their choice. If it's someone else's choice, they will relapse. It has to be theirs and they need to be empowered and inspired to choose differently. And I predict and I, my experience is that the way to do that is to provide a safe, loving, and compassionate environment by being those things. No judgments, no right or wrong, no having it look a certain way, but being open to whatever their journey is, whatever their healing process is, wherever they need to go, and being there no matter what through the whole journey. Mm -hmm. I read this book, and this just reminded me of it, but I read this book um. I used to talk about it on the podcast all the time when I was reading it because it was really insightful for me. But it is called The Prosperous Coach. Um, yeah, it's right over there on the shelf. But that's what I think it's called, Prosperous Coach. But um, one of the things that it said in the book is like the best thing you can do is be a lamp. And it's not necessarily yeah. talking about like be a light in their life, but be a lamp. Like what do lamps do? Like they're there. They just sit there. They're always there. They're consistent. Like. When I think about the people in my lives that have helped me the most, they sat there and they listened and they listened and they listened and listened. Like I have a memory of calling my mom one day when I went to Whole Foods, you know, I'm in Colorado, she's in Texas and I was having a moment where I was finally going to Whole Foods and I was finally going to the hot bar and I was finally eating all these different foods and 
I ate a lot. Like I ate too much to, to me. Like I just ate a whole bunch of different food and because that's what happens when you go to Whole Foods. You just want to get everything. And then I started judging myself and I started looking at everyone else's like plates and what they were eating there. And I was just like, I ate so much more to the girl to the left. I ate so much more than the guy in front of me. I ate so much more than this person and this person. And I called my mom and I started crying in Whole Foods. Like, I mean, just crying. I, I didn't care. I, I knew I'd never see these people again, but I was being very open with her and I was just making no sense at all. And I was just like, I ate food. Like I ate so much food. And she just sat there and listened and listened. And she knows me very well. And she knew what I was going through. And she knew I was, I was getting closer to the enlightenment that I needed and that I wanted. And in my point of view, the way I think is that everyone has their own version of rock bottom. And people need to get to rock bottom before they can actually say, okay, I don't want my life to go in this path anymore. And you can't push anyone into rock bottom. You can't place anyone into rock bottom. They have to feel that feeling completely without any shame and just say, this is where I am. This is not the direction I want to keep heading. And that's when people are really open to accepting themselves and and then the right people, if you have that right kind of energy of hopefulness and those right people are put into your lives that will listen and you need someone in your life that will listen and just hear you out on things. And and it obviously makes it, it makes it easier if they have good insight as well and they can say the right types of things like a coach or something. But the most important people in my life that have helped me through these things were lamps. They just listened. Like that's what it, it, like you, we know more than we think we do. Like if you're given the opportunity to talk and to pour and to spill out, you're going to bring yourself the clarity you need. You already know how you're feeling and you just need to let it come out to be released. That's, I don't have anything to say. <laughs> that was great. That yeah. was great. I agree, I agree wholeheartedly. I think, um, you know, I think, we're coming up on an hour, and I, I just want to give some people some takeaways just to be really clear uh, on what they get to be. And, and for any men listening, for any people listening, there's a lot of amazing takeaways in this podcast. A lot of, um, you know, post-it notes around your house. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The best place to start is in within. Um, you know, you talk about it, I talk about it. But it's coming to a place of acceptance and understanding and not putting interpretations on things, just being accepting of what is. Like, just what is. That that means, like, it doesn't matter what's going on outside, doesn't matter what other people are thinking, doesn't even matter what you're thinking. It's just what is in that moment. You know, we can't change the past and we can't predict the future, but we can be in this moment. And in this moment, what you choose is the most powerful thing. And the power of the mind has the power of doing anything. You can choose happiness. You can choose sadness. You can choose motivation. I implore you to choose love, acceptance, and compassion and keep moving forward. And at any, any moment, you're given the choice to keep choosing it. And there's just uh, – it's just so important. You know, It's just so stinking important to be present and be in the moment and to choose love and to choose acceptance because – um, you actually opened the podcast with telling me or saying that I may not even understand or know how many people I affect every day. And you're actually 100% correct because I don't even, I can't even fathom how many people get to read my stuff or see my stuff. And it's really humbling. But at the same time, the average person walking through life has the same effect on every other people. And you affect your friends and your family and your coworkers and the people around you and the people that give you coffee and at the grocery store. And when you can be that beaming, 
ray of light and happiness and joy and acceptance and love, it radiates throughout the world and it's contagious. So beautiful. I love it. My last question for you, George, is I'm sure we've covered it, but I always end every episode with this question. If, if you were to give one person one big tip for strengthening their mind-body connection, what would that be? If I was to give one person one big tip about strengthening their mind-body connection, it would be um, <laughs> it would be getting present and mindful. Mm-hmm. And um, I would give you a different tip every day depending on how I feel, but something I'm currently working on is mindfulness. Um, mindfulness of my body, my sensation, feeling every one of my toes, feeling the ground beneath my feet, feeling my fingers, and taking time throughout the day to do five minutes of meditation or concentration to be mindful to be present. And, um, you know, there's a reason they call them Christmas presents because everything amazing happens in the present. And uh, the sooner that we can get there and spend more time there, I truly believe that the sooner everything else kind of flourishes and it's the base of everything. So um, getting mindful and getting present. Mm, that's an amazing answer. Um, I love it. Where can my listeners find you? Oh, yeah, that might be helpful for them to know <laughs> where I am. Um, the easiest place to find me is my website, uh, civilizedcavemancooking.com. Uh, and then my book uh, is available at all Costco's, uh, Sam's Club, but the best place to get it is Amazon. Um, and you can go to the paleokitchen.com to link it there. And then I'm spread out all over social media, Civilized Caveman Cooking Cave in some places, but it's all linked from my website, civilizedcavemancooking.com. And what is your favorite recipe from that book? My favorite recipe from the book is on page 95. It is the fluffy blueberry pancakes substituting chocolate chips. Oh, okay. I don't know if you remember this, but when that book came out, I posted a status because I... I wrote, I, I tagged you and Julie, so you'll probably didn't see it, but I just said, like, literally that week, I had nothing else on my news feed, on my Facebook wall, on Instagram. All I had were those blueberry pancakes. Everywhere I was taking, like, pictures of it and talking about those pancakes. So, um, yeah, and they're amazing. I've tried them before, so well done on those pancakes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And thanks for the interview. I had an absolute blast and, uh, you know, I, I look forward to hearing people uh, listen to the episode and see what we did. Yeah, absolutely. Like, from the bottom of my heart, this has got to be my number one favorite podcast because there's so much inside. I learned a lot. I know my listeners will learn a lot. So, everyone, go head on over to his website, um, bookmark it, visit it frequently. And um, if you want to see the show notes for this and just click on his links, you can go to mattymoon.com slash mbm43. See you guys next time.